Softly Spoken is an introvert's guide to thinking out loud about identity, meaning, and the moments that make us who we are. A mix of stories and interviews, Softly Spoken is a podcast that takes a deep dive into the hidden moments that shape us. It's an invitation for you to consider the version of you you are creating right now. What are you learning about yourself in the process? My name is Stefan. And I'm your host and introvert-in-chief. Last week we heard the first part of my interview with our guest, Paola Akel. In part one, Paola talked about the Lebanese part of her identity. She is half Colombian, half Lebanese. And she talked about how, after her mother's death, she made a trip to Lebanon for the first time. During this life-changing visit, she reconnected with her mother, with her Lebanese origins, and with herself. If you have not yet listened to part one, I highly encourage you to do that first, before diving into the second part of her story. The link to part one is in the show notes to this episode. In today's episode, part two of my interview with Paola, she shares what happened after she returned to Colombia from her trip to Lebanon. On her return to war-torn Colombia, Paola found herself eager to dive back into life and work. She takes us on a journey from the jungles of Colombia as a war victim psychologist, to the breakup of her marriage, to the relatively new world of practicing online psychotherapy before online psychotherapy became standard practice during COVID-19. While her life took a different direction than she anticipated, Paula has found joy in the relationships and career she has built. I hope you enjoy. When I came back from Lebanon, life got harder in terms of jobs. I had little contracts over here and there, but it was difficult. Nobody knew me here. <laughs> All my career was built elsewhere. And the other thing is that I was specialized in something that I thought was going to be important if I came back to Colombia because I am a war victim psychologist. I thought coming back here with everything that was going on, I was going to be needed. But war victims here don't go to the psychologist. Where do they go? They don't really have a lot of support. Exactly at that time, when I was seeking for a job and not knowing what to do, the government was starting the peace agreement negotiations, and they created a program for war victims for an intervention in psychology. The problem is that it was in the middle of the jungle. (laughs) You mean you didn't want to go to the middle of the jungle? (laughs) Well, I never thought of that idea ever in my life, but I was needing a job. I was wanting to work with victims. I was really engaged in what was going on in my country. And then I saw the offer on Facebook. You know, it was really informal. Suddenly, (laughs) something just popped up. I didn't see where it was. I applied. I got a call like 10 minutes later. 
They told me to send my CV immediately because they had a meeting to evaluate the CVs to be able to choose who they're going to hire. And I did that. <laughs> I, I was home alone at that moment. I didn't even read where it was. And I had this interview by phone. And then I realized that it was in a place that I didn't know. I didn't even know where in the map it was. I had to take my <laughs> Google Maps and find. <laughs> and I was You're like, fearless. Oh. You're just like, I'm going to jump in all, all the way. <laughs> and the best part is I, I was still married at the time. So when my husband came home that night, I was like, um, yeah, I am moving to the jungle on Monday. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, yeah. You know, when I told you that I was ready to eat the world, well, that was it. I was no longer fearful. I was just wanting to do what I wanted to do and trusting life. Well, that does seem to be a theme, right? Talking about identity. You're a pioneer. You were doing COVID funerals before COVID funerals were a thing. You know, you went to the jungle on a job that was posted on Facebook, which is a bit sketchy. <laughs> And I was in online psychiatry two years before COVID. I am a pioneer in telepsychotherapy. Where do you think you get that fearlessness from? Maybe it's the Lebanese part because they were the ones who navigated and started commerce on the Mediterranean, linking Europe with the Arab world. So they're adventurous people. My family is not that much, but... <laughs> Uh, there's a lot of Lebanese, I think, that wouldn't have done what you did. <laughs> so you went to the jungle. You're not there anymore. <laughs> so how long did you do that for? It was really a precarious contract. First time was just like four or five months. Then it ended. Then you had to just wait until next year that they do all the process again. The next year... I ended up working there like six months. And when it ended, I came back to Bogota and waited for the next year. But the next year started earlier, but I went to a different place. I did two years, two contracts in a place called San Jose del Guaviare, which is a very, very small town in the middle of the jungle where I was going to the houses of the victims to talk with them. And it was really fun because it was the contrary of what happened to me in Quebec. In Quebec, I was the psychologist who came from Colombia. So I was the immigrant. And it made me bond with the victims that came from other countries because I was like them. Someone from Bosnia, when they knew that I was from Colombia, in their head was like, well, yeah, she must know pretty much what a war is and so it helped a lot and it has always been my tool my principal tool to be perceived as one of them now it was the contrary now I was the white semi-blonde girl that arrived coming from the city with university studies that arrived in a place where people barely know how to read and write and of course, I was more looked as... You're part of the elite. Exactly. 
So, of course, they couldn't link with me in the same way. My principal tool that I always used, it was crushed. I couldn't use it at all. And the other thing is that it is really comfortable when you are in your office to receive people from everywhere, but you are in your comfortable place. This is the country. You need to go to them. You need to go to see where they live. And you're there to see the rats and you're there to see the spiders. You're right in it. You're in the mud with them. Exactly. When you do that, you don't have the safety or place of comfort. And adding to that, you are the elite. You are the one who historically are the enemy. How so? Well, because there are people from the country who who are poor, who don't have... Oh, you mean because you were elite and you exactly. were upper class and all of that, they looked at you and, and saw the enemy. How did that experience change you or the way that you work? Well, I had to adapt, <laughs> of course. I had to be humble, actually. That's it. I had to understand that everything that I knew so far was not going to work. And one of the things that helped is that I went on my bike to the houses of the people. I had this backpack that we call that a mochila, which is um, like the native people here use that. So it made me look more hippie. <laughs> you were trying to blend in. Of course, I was so seeable. It, it's ridiculous. But it was funny to see me. And the other thing is that in one of his trips to visit me, my husband put a basket on my bike, but not a cute basket. It was like those baskets that you find on markets where you have all the um, veggies and things, cheap. <laughs> and because it drained a lot, so I always put my backpack and everything that I needed for my work in there, but I cover it with a plastic bag. So... <laughs> When people saw me, they thought that I was selling stuff. So suddenly I passed from being, you know, the psychologist coming from the city to someone else who was selling stuff on her bike. So it actually helped because they mocked me and that made, made it easy for them. Well, and I think they probably saw that you were making that effort too, right? Even if you weren't blending in, you were making that effort to be on their level. Exactly, exactly. All right, so you're in the jungle. You're, again, being the fierce person that I remember, <laughs> which is just taking life by the horns and going with whatever gets thrown your way. Um, it sounds like that was a pretty meaningful experience as well. You know, like you said, you had to throw out all your tools and, and really reinvent how you were going to work with these people. How did you break some of that stigma around accessing a psychologist and, and talking about mental health. How, did, how were you able to bridge that divide if, if you were able to bridge that? Well, I understood that I didn't know anything and I acted like that. I went to houses and explained to me what is going on. Tell me about your story. I want to understand how do you live that? Well, how do you understand what you're going through? And I really put myself as a learner and not as someone who was there to tell them what to do. And I think that's the, that was the secret. 
So it sounds like over time you were able to build that trust that you needed to connect with them. So how long did you do that for then? I did that two years in that town. And the third one, I was no longer the psychologist on the field. I had a promotion. <laughs> I was the coordinator of psychologists, but it was in another place. And it was weird because it was a bigger city. It was a lot more urban than I, what I lived in the previous years. But at the same time, that region was a lot more dangerous. I was not in contact with the victims on the first line. I think that was actually worse because when I was in the other place where I was the coordinator and not the one actually going to the places, it completely changed because now I was responsible. For other people's safety. For other people. And that was horrible. I didn't like that. <laughs> If something happened to me, it's my problem. I can deal with that. I am the one who was taking the risk. But in this place, if something happened to someone, I was feeling responsible of that. So I was all the time very stressed. It was not an easy place. There were a lot of guerrillas and there were paramilitaries. And even if it was supposed to be in the peace agreement, starting and everything. It, it was not true. There was a peace agreement that all the sides would back off from each other, but you're saying that that wasn't in reality what was, what was happening. Exactly. And nothing happened while I was there, fortunately. But the year after, when I left, one of the psychologists that were part of my team was killed. And even if she was not working in my team for a year... I still felt a bit of guilt because I shouldn't never have encouraged her to be so engaged politically or... Of course, it wasn't. I mean, I don't even know what really happened. I learned a lot. I learned more about how to work with teams, how to manage people, professionals to talk with politicians, to talk with people on the government, to talk with people on the church. You know, I was like the intermediate between all the instances that were implied in the program. You're stretching so many different muscles at the same time, right? So you're doing the sort of the frontline work, then you're doing the coordination of a team, but you're also trying to be the conduit or the bridge between, you know, what's happening on the ground and then the people in power, the people making decisions. That was exactly my job, being the bridge. Yeah, well, that's a really hard place to be. Yeah. <laughs> How did you manage that stress? <laughs> Or did you? <laughs> Not sure. Again, I think I was just assuming, okay, I'm not good at this. I don't know anything about talking with these people, but let's stroke some egos. And, <laughs> and that's what I did. I, I believe that there's a lot of power in a submissive attitude. So that doesn't mean that I don't know how to put my boundaries, but... When you know how to enter and play, yes, you are the one in charge. Please let me know how I can help you. Doors open. So I learned a lot of that. I was also 
living alone in another city that I didn't know. So once again, trying to discover the place, trying to discover the the culture because they were actually very different from the the place before on their way of living and everything. And when I was there, I didn't need to go to the community as much as before. So I actually spent a lot of my time in front of a computer, writing reports and just monitoring what the activities and things like that. And that's when one of my former colleagues from Quebec told me that there was this new clinic that they saw that were trying to do online psychotherapy. And I had the time. I knew my contract was going to end and that I didn't know what was going to happen afterwards. My marriage at the time was not great, so I needed to start finding solutions. And I applied. Obviously, it was a job, but was there something about doing online psychotherapy in particular that piqued your interest? It was doing psychotherapy. I haven't been able to do psychotherapy for a while at the time. I started doing online with like one or two patients, but it was not really something that was regular. I was missing being able to actually do a psychotherapy because what I did at the jungle is not really psychotherapy. It was like more psychosocial intervention, you know. It, it was social work. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> yes, it was more social work. So it was like this opportunity to remember my profession and to be in touch with the clinic. And it was like a side job. And it was an adventure also because it was in Quebec and it was just starting. It was the first online clinic that, it, that happened in Quebec. And in a time where psychologists didn't like to do online and people were very, very reticent about it and clients needed something like that, but psychologists didn't want to do it. So Sophia, the director, the owner, she was trying to find different psychologists and she actually started the clinic with eight. And of course, you cannot just start and pretend that you're going to have a full schedule. So... Many of them just started to quit. And at the beginning, we were starting. I was discovering the platform, everything. So I could have like one or two clients in a month, you know. <laughs> But it was exactly what I needed because I was still working in the jungle. When my contract there ended, I came back to Bogota. And two days after I came home, my husband left. You mean left the marriage? Yes. Well, it was not super clear. He said that he needed to go live with his mother because his mother was also sick. She needed him. But it was not real. It was him getting to the point that we were no longer doing well. And it was really anxious for me because, you know, I just ended up a contract. So I was actually out of job without an income and my husband who was paying some bills suddenly was not living there I was living in what was my mom's apartment and it's in a good part of the city so even if it's not high high it's not cheap and with what I was making 
I was not able to live there. I couldn't afford the bills because the amount is according to the place you're living. Right. Paying utilities and property tax and all that. Exactly. So I couldn't afford to live at my place. That was really hard. You know, it's my mom's apartment. It's not that easy for me to just sell my apartment and go live somewhere else and assume that I am poor now. And, you know, <laughs> but somehow everything rearranged. And I came back from the jungle on December. On December, my husband left. In January, a cousin of mine came to Bogota to study his master's. So she was going to stay two years and she asked me if she could stay with me. So at least I could have someone who was helping paying bills. So my cousin was my roommate. She was paying. And I have to say it, my ex-husband left by, he knew what my situation was. So during a certain period, he kept paying some of the things. So I could focus on being a psychologist, an online psychologist. And for a while, I was the only one in the clinic. You went from eight people to just you. <laughs> just me. And because I was needing to be able to make my living out of that, I was available at all times. I started to work at eight o'clock in the morning. I was online and available until 10 o'clock in the evening. So 14 hours a day for six days a week. The only day that I said no too much is Sundays I rest, I take a break. But for months and months and months, I was having those availabilities. I wasn't going out. <laughs> I wasn't meeting people. I was available in front of my computer and it paid off. You don't tell your clients to do that, I hope. <laughs> I'm a complete hypocrite in that part. <laughs> <laughs> what about balance? <laughs> I'm just... When COVID arrived, it was, now I have roommates and they laughed at me because they hear me saying on my workshops to people how to balance life, how to be able to balance working at home with the family life and everything. And they just looked at me like, yeah, hypocrite. <laughs> <laughs> so it paid off for you though. I mean, you put in that time, you made that sacrifice really to get off the ground. And, and so that's what you've been doing ever since? That's what I have been doing ever since. It was starting to pay off already before COVID. It was already starting to be something that we were like five psychologists, I think, in the clinic before COVID. And that year, I was supposed to go to the Congress in Quebec to be able to give a workshop about demystifying online therapy because it was this big mystery and psychologists didn't want to do. And then COVID arrived <laughs> and oh my God, everything changed. The demands of people exploded and the public system is completely overloaded. Two or three years of enlist. Wait lists? Really? It really is bad. So for us, it was the perfect opportunity. And what is really interesting in all this is that Sophia, who is the owner of the clinic, I can actually say that it's a woman who changed my life and I have never met her. Well, you've met her online, not in person. 
Yes, of course. And we are close. I mean, we, we really talk a lot, and but I have never met her in person. And I changed her life too, because I was the only psychologist really believing in her dream. So we really affected each other's lives for real, big time. <laughs> What is ahead for you? I mean, you've established a new rhythm doing this online psychotherapy. In the next year, is there something that you're looking forward to to doing or expanding your practice or something you're willing to share at least? The next step that I want, <laughs> it might be a possibility, is to become a partner at the clinic and start to combine the psychotherapy with more administrative stuff, but being able to have a revenue even if I don't work. Because right now, as a psychologist, If I have the flu and I don't work, I don't earn any money. <laughs> I haven't went on vacation forever. And so, yes, having something that makes me actually have an income, even if I'm not working, so I can balance even more my rhythm. Uh, you know, I always end my interviews by asking, what is the one thing, as you look over your life journey, that you're the most proud of? Well, I was an only child, very mommy's girl. And I went from living with my mom to living with a husband, feeling very spoiled and feeling that I needed someone. Even if I had this year when we met, actually, that showed me that it was possible for me to live by my own. And it was important that year for that, but still, it was still my mom paying. And after that, it was still my husband paying. And so one of the things that I feared the most was if my mom was to die. And because I'm an only child who have no, no siblings, I don't have a father. I don't have children. I wanted, but I couldn't. So I don't have children at my age. So I was always, always scared of what was going to happen if I get myself to this point where I am, where I'm alone, actually, in that I don't have any parents, I don't have any siblings, I don't have any children, and I don't have a husband. So suddenly I'm alone. And when I found myself in that situation, everything just went great. <laughs> Are you being sarcastic? <laughs> no, it was my biggest fear. You faced your biggest fear. Exactly. I faced it and everything that happened in all this journey that we have been talking about today made me realize that I can do it. <laughs> I can do it. I am the owner of my life and I decide what I want to do it with it. And And I can, and I'm good. That is my biggest pride, is that even if my life is not at all what I thought it was going to be at this age, it is what I wanted <laughs> that I didn't know I wanted, you know? When I was very young, I saw myself as a psychologist who helped people and could live from that, but that was pretty much all. And Around that, I had husband, I had children, I had the normal life and the normal issues, and my mom always around. And 
nothing of that is now. Well, the psychology piece is still there. But exactly. But yes, I am doing what I love to do. I am being useful. I think my life has a meaning. I really think I have been in this world for something. And I am leaving a print of my journey throughout this world. And I'm having fun. <laughs> I don't know if that comes from my mom because she was a single mom, but she always, always, always told me not to depend on anyone. And now I understand that being independent doesn't mean that you're alone. I'm surrounded. I have really good friends. My family, even if they're not here, they're close. And no one is giving me anything. I am completely independent. I am able to do what I want. And I am able to even be high maintenance because I can. High maintenance to yourself. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Without anyone complaining about it. You know? It's beautiful. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much. Softly Spoken is a Tilted Windmills production. It was hosted and produced by Stefan de Villiers. If you enjoyed listening to this episode and you'd like to help support us, please share it with others, post it on social media, or leave us a rating or review. Thanks again, and see you next time. <laughs>